How many of you believe that God is good? How many would you say your life reflects that, that God is good? Hmm? I'm good. I don't know about you, but I fail at that miserably. Um, I was telling someone yesterday, they called me and they said, how you doing? And I said, well, at the moment, good. Asked me five minutes ago, five minutes ago, you might have got a different answer. All I know is God allows things in our lives and we have an opportunity to how we're going to respond to them. Right? Choices and consequences. And, uh, excuse me, Jake's probably sitting back there laughing. Dad cries all the time anymore. (laughs) Here's what I know over the last eight weeks. What I know is, I feel like God God is sovereign, right? Anybody, Anybody disagree with that? God's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't need our permission to do it. He doesn't have to ask us if it's good or bad. He can just do whatever He wants because He's sovereign. And I know that if God allows something in our life, I, what I know, is, at least what I believe, is it's for my good, right? Right? He doesn't do stuff just to tick you off. He doesn't do stuff just to irritate you. He doesn't do stuff just to, you know, just because, the, oh, uh, let's make him hurt some more, eh, you know. That's not the God that I serve. But I do believe He's a sovereign God. And if He allows something in my life, it's for my good. And I have an opportunity to respond either correctly or incorrectly. And on the outside, I know that I can say, oh, everything's great. Have a good attitude. And the inside be torqued. Because I want it done with. And I'm just telling you, I have failed miserably over the last eight weeks. There are times I say, God, I know you're working. Showing me stuff that I need to learn. And the next person that walks in, they say, oh, how you doing? Great, wonderful, smiles on, everything's wonderful. But I know inside my attitude rots. Because I'm over it. The problem is you can't be over it yet. Because <laughs> it's not healed yet. It's been one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with. But at the same time. It's one of those things I know God's completely in control of. 100% in control of. And I get irritated because people don't respond the way I want them to respond. Or can't talk normal anymore, by the way. (laughs) And um, so as I'm working through what God is trying to teach me through all this, I know he's got a plan, but I also know that I have failed. And I'm thankful for God's grace every day, for his mercy every day. The fact that he doesn't give up on us. In fact, I have to remind myself, a just man falls seven times, but he doesn't stay down, he gets back up, right? We keep going, we keep learning, we keep asking God what is it he's trying to teach us and learn, you know, and seek to learn the things that he's trying to teach us through him. And I don't know about you, but that's a struggle. It's a struggle. Because in my flesh, I want what I want. And I want this done. Because I've been, what's the word? Impatient or, or 
inconvenienced or um, whatever it is that, you know, I want to do this and I can't do this or whatever. And some days it's like, you know, I want to do what I want to do. And God says, not yet. Not yet. I'm like, okay, God, but I've learned this and this. You know, well, I'm not done yet, though. Okay, so there's more to learn. I don't know about you, but when I think of God being good, I think of things like His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy. And I started this thing last week where I asked the question, have we forsaken the assembling? You can be here every week. You can put money in the offering plate and still be 100% guilty of forsaking the assembling. And yet, we think we've done okay because we're here. There's so many things, and here's the problem. I'm just going to be honest with you up front and open this morning is that the problem with not preaching for seven weeks, i got 8,000 things going through my head. And uh, you're going to get a machine gun brunt of some of them this morning. But we're going to land in John 4 for a minute. But let me just start off with this. If I were to ask you the question, and I've asked this question many times in the past, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? No doubt many of you would likely say yes. However, the next question will reveal whether or not you answered that question correctly or honestly. And it's this. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Does your life reflect what you say is in your heart? Does your life reflect the fact that you say, I'm a Christian... Do people around you know that? Let's be honest. Do people around you know that you're a Christian? Say, well, yeah, Pastor, I'm a Christian. Well, how do they know that? Well, I go to church. Who cares? A lot of people go to church. And it means absolutely nothing. Except for that's what they do on Sundays. So I started thinking through, what are some of the things that would give evidence, not to my neighbors, because it really doesn't matter what my neighbors think. It really doesn't matter what my family thinks in the end. It matters what Jesus Christ knows. Right? That's what matters in the end. What does Jesus Christ know versus what I say? Because those are two different things. And one of the, and I, had, I started thinking through a whole list of things, and I thought to myself, okay, we'll start going through some of these things over the next few weeks. But one of the first things that hit my, hit my mind was, have I even told anybody about him? I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Do I ever even mention his name outside of church? You say, well, is that a problem? Yeah, I think that's a problem. That's a problem. Because it shows whether or not I'm truly grateful for what Jesus Christ has done in my life or not. Do I even mention him? I think Scripture is just so full of things. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, i got machine gun thoughts today, so forgive me if they're all over the map. But hopefully we can funnel it in here. I apologize in advance. But I think of this word surrender. I think of the word surrender. Have I surrendered to Jesus? If I say I'm a child of God... If I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I claim to be a Christian, 
Does my life reflect some a life that is surrendered or committed to Jesus Christ? And I thought, well, where is there an example of this in Scripture? Well, there's multiple examples. But the one that jumped off the page of me is actually something that's in the Old Testament. Probably not the greatest example of the right or commitment in the right direction, but nonetheless an example of commitment and surrender that really jumped off the page of me. And here it is in 1 Kings chapter 20. Let me read just four verses. Um, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it very quickly, and I'm going to give you the idea of what commitment really means. This is when Ahab is beginning to go to war with Syria. Let me read just four verses. It says, Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his military force, and there were thirty-two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and fought against it. Then he sent messengers to the city of to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Now think about this. He is making a declaration. He is saying, this is what I want. He says, your silver and your gold are mine. Well, that's not enough. Your most beautiful wives and children are also mine. Then the king of Israel answered and said, It is according to your word, my lord. O king, I am yours and all that I have. Let me ask you a question. Does that pretty much sum up surrender? It really does. He says, what you want, no problem. It's yours. And I think to myself at times, if we are really a child of God, wouldn't we want to surrender everything to Him? I mean, everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we will ever be is only a, only a result of His mercy and His grace to us already, right? I mean, every day we wake up, it's another day of life and breath and health that we have an opportunity to decide what we're going to do with it. And we can either fail miserably and use it on self and gratify our own flesh, or we can say, God, I'm yours, what do you want to do with me? And nobody can force you to do one way or the other. It's up to you and your own self how you're going to respond to that. But I think to myself, oftentimes, (laughs) have we even told anybody? Does anyone even know? Is there enough evidence in in the court of law to even convict us of being a child of God? I mean, could someone even prove that we know Jesus? And I hear these little statements from people from time to time. Well, my faith is private. Baloney. There is no such thing as private faith. I'm just going to say it. There's no such thing. Jesus Christ dying on the cross was not private. It was very public. Amen? And if His was so public, why isn't ours? Well, I just keep that to my faith. You know, that, that my faith is private. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to get anyone upset. I'm not asking you to. I'm just asking you to be who you are before Jesus Christ, a child of God. But there is no such thing as a private faith. Faith is very public. From the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what is the first step of obedience? Please, someone tell me. Baptism. Baptism, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is the first step of obedience. 
And why is that? Because it's a public profession of my faith. It says publicly that I am a child of God and I want my life to reflect knowing Jesus. That's why, as we say often, it's when I stand in the water, I form a what? Cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. He went under the water. He came back out of, up out of the grave. He rose again. It is a public identification of knowing Jesus Christ. And by the way, Pauline Epistles over and over talks about crucifying the old man, putting to death the old life, putting to death everything that is associated with the old man, the old life before Christ. That's who we are. We're now risen. We're a new creation for, for 2 Corinthians 5, right? All things have, or old things have passed away. All things have become new. And the reality is, we're a child of God then. Does our life reflect that? Question. And I just want you to chew on this. As I said last week, I'm going to give you some points to chew on. Have you ever shared your faith with anybody? Now, let me just say, well, Pastor, are you accusing us of not being witnesses? No, I'm not. I know that there are a few of you in this room that tell me from time to time that you've had an opportunity to share your faith, and I say, praise God, that's awesome. But as a general rule, have you ever led anyone to the Lord? I know you can't save someone. I can't save someone. But you can show them how to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been that instrument to someone? Twelve years ago, I went to a church, and uh, I asked the question of the pulpit committee. Have you ever led anyone to the Lord? Because they hammered me about my salvation. And I said, do you disagree with what my definition of salvation is? And they said, no. Well, when it finally came my turn to ask the pulpit committee some questions, I simply said this. Let's just start right here. Let's go around the room. There's 12 people in here. Let's just start right here and tell me when's the last time that you led someone to the Lord. Yeah, let's just start right here. Right here, right here. Awkward silence. Here's a 67, 68, 69-year-old man, as were most of the people in the room. And for just awkward silence, purposefully. Here's the leadership of the church. Here's the spiritual leadership. And he looked at me and he goes, I've never let anyone to how long have you been a Christian? Well, since I was a kid. So for 60 years, you've never shared your faith to the point where you led someone to the Lord? Next. Well, I, I led my child to the Lord when, when they were seven. And you're 70 now. And that's the, what you're going to go back to? You're 70 years old, and the only person that you have ever led to the Lord is a child when he was seven? As we went around that room, that was the story of everybody. Two or three had led their kids to the Lord when they were little kids. But as a general rule, nobody had ever led anyone to the Lord. You say, well, pastor, is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Because what did Jesus ask us to do? To go out and be witnesses. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. 
let's just look at Acts 1.8 first. But ye shall receive power. You have the ability to do what I've asked you to do. But now I want you to go out and make disciples. In order to make disciples, you have to share your faith. But we can't share our faith if we don't open our mouths. But I love Jesus. Do you? Because he says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. Did he not command us to share our faith? So the question really can be begged whether or not we really love Jesus. Say, well, pastor, I can't make someone get saved. No, you can't make someone get saved. You can't. But you can plant seeds. And you can water. And you can open your mouth. Let's look at some scriptures, just for a few moments. We're going to jump around just for a minute, and then I'm going to land in John 4. Proverbs chapter 11. Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. So I told you, sitting sitting idle for seven weeks, I got my I got things running all over. And there's not much up there, so the marble is going crazy like a pinball machine. So 11, uh, Proverbs 11 verse 30. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. He that wins souls is wise. He says He wants us to win souls. He wants us to be a part of the process. He wants us. You can argue out Calvinism, Arminianism, until we're blue in the face. But the reality is this. How shall they hear except there be a preacher who opens his mouth and speaks? God's Word is clear. Silent witness is not a witness. God wants us to open our mouth. Matthew 28, 19, 20, we're not going to go there. But we're to go, make disciples. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 16 says this, You did not choose Me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you would go and what? Bear fruit. So He wants us to bear fruit. That's His desire for us. As His children, as followers of Christ, He desires that we bear fruit. Over and over, we have opportunities every day. I struggle with this. say, well, you're the pastor of the church. What do you mean you struggle with this? Because I'm around Christians all the time. I'm around Christian people all my life. Christian people are already what? Christian. At least we claim to be. Let me say it that way. So how do I have opportunity? People make comments every day in our lives. It's just a little comment. The other day, in my house, someone stopped by, comment. Well, you know, there's Baptists, there's Catholics, there's Lutheran, there's Methodists. You know, it doesn't really matter. We're all, you know, we're all, we're all going to get there. And I said, yeah, you know what, I agree with you. It's not about being Methodist or Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian. It's real, Yeah, God, I'm not in about religion. God, God's not in on religion. He's all about a relationship. You can take an opportunity, just a moment, just a phrase, and turn the conversation if you want to. 
But if you don't want to, you're not going to do it. It takes, an, it takes a desire to do something about it. Let me ask you a question. Are, should we be ashamed about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives? That's a question. Should we? No. In fact, we should be we should be excited about it. I mean, it's changed our life, right? I mean, if we're if, if God has saved us, we're going to heaven now, right? And and we've escaped hell, but not only that, we get to spend eternity with the one who who loved us and, and gave His life for us. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, I'm not ashamed. Paul lived that out in his life. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. And by the way, God's Word says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Say, so, well, did he really say that? Yeah, he said that. It's in the words of the page of the Bible. We shouldn't be ashamed. God has changed our lives, given us a, a home in heaven for all eternity. In First Corinthians chapter nine, turn there just for a moment. First Corinthians chapter nine. And by the way, Paul over and over gave up everything. For the sake of the gospel. As you're turning there, just for a moment, he gave up everything for the gospel. Just let that sink in for a minute. Chew on that. What am I willing to give up? What have I ever been asked to give up for the cause of Christ? Man, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't like to be inconvenienced. Anyone else? Y'all a bunch of liars. Y'all don't like to be... Y'all know you don't like to be inconvenienced. Hey, honey, can you do this? Wait to the commercial. I'll get to it in a minute. I'm just telling you. There's a few things I cannot do yet. When something drops on the floor, the remote... I'm in my mind thinking, how am I going to get down there and get that remote? And I finally come to my senses and realize, I'm not going to get that remote. I can't bend over certain angles yet. Hurts my sternum just beyond measure. Just like, I just don't... Hey, Don? You know what I want when I say Don? Right now. I want what I want, when I want, as often as I want. And so do you. Ouch. That hurts. We are selfish. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want people to not like us. We don't want people to think lesser of us because of what we believe, even though it's different than what they believe. We don't want to be challenged. Paul over and over gave up everything. Look at verse 22. Chapter 9, verse 22. 
Actually, let's go verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Wait a minute. Paul said, I have set aside my desires. I've set aside my wants. I've set aside what I think I deserve so that I can win more to Jesus Christ. He says, And to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not me being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without law, though not being without the law God of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. What is he saying over and over? He says, if you're a Jewish people, he goes, I'm going to relate to you. He said, if you're a Gentile, I'm going to try to relate to you. I'm going to take the everyday circumstances of life. I'm going to take the conversations that God allows me to be a part of, and I'm going to point people to Jesus. Verse 22 says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. He said, the gospel's changed my life, and I want it to change yours. Has the gospel changed your life? Just something to chew on. Just something to think about. Has becoming a child of Christ changed you? Changed your focus? He said, old things have passed away. All things become new. Has it changed you? Look at Acts chapter 20. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I came across this this week and I'm like, wow, these are, co- these are powerful verses. Here's what he said. Actually, let me go, let me go back. I, I, just, I wish I could just take time and just read through all of it. It's just, you just have like Bible reading hours. There's so much powerful stuff here. Um, let's go back to verse 18. It says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plot of the Jews, how the verse twenty and twenty one, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to you both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, "I didn't hold anything back." You say, well, that's Paul. He's a he's a preacher. No, this is Saul who God turned his life around from being a persecutor of those who are of the way, believers, into saying, this, this God who has changed my life can change yours too. If you'll let Him. And he says, I didn't hold anything back that would possibly affect you coming to know Him. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, that's Paul. That's every one of us. That's for every one of us. In fact, turn over to 2 Corinthians again. Chapter 
uh, number five. Second Corinthians chapter five. I promise you I will eventually get back into going through the books again. Just some things that God's laid on my heart to share, but I'll go back to going through books again eventually. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty. He says this Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Stop right there just for a moment. It's a word we don't hear a lot. It's not a word we talk about in everyday vernacular. We don't, we don't use the word reconciliation. But here's what he says. He says, Jesus Christ, or God, reconciled us to himself. He brought us to himself and then said, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation so that we can bring others to him. That's something every one of us should be doing. It's not just for a pastor. It's not for a missionary. It's for anybody that knows Jesus. Anybody that has, that, that has received the gospel in their life. Anybody that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation to bring others to God. He said, that's why I saved you. And then he goes to verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, let me go back to verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. So then we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 19, you've been made, given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, you become his ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? Somebody who gets to carry an important message. You've been given the message of the king. Think about that. You've been given God's message. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Let me ask you a question. What's in your heart concerning your relationship with Jesus Christ. Just something to chew on. Say, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, that's our claim. As many people claim that. And for many of us, that's true. But what's in your heart? I come in week after week, and I look around sometimes, and I see some of you just stand there like, like, like a bump on a pickle. Like, life is just so terrible. Life is just bad. There's so many problems. Got nothing to look forward to. I think to myself, do you know Jesus? And we sing and we say, I can't wait to go to heaven and lay eyes on Jesus. And we sing, God is so good. And yet, our life doesn't reflect that. Just don't dare talk to me. Don't make me have to like say something back to you. Just leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Really? Is that what knowing Jesus is all about? Seriously. If you know Him, you should want to reflect Him. You know what Paul said? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives 
in me. Paul said, I don't want you to see me. I want, you, I want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what John the Baptist said? I'm not that man. I just sent to bear witness of that man. He says, I'm a mere reflection of Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm just here to reflect Jesus. Who do people see when they see you? Do they see somebody that loves Jesus and reflects Jesus? Or do they see somebody that's upset and angry and frustrated? I'm not saying don't be human. I'm not saying don't be real. There are days that just, trust me, I have failed in this at times. I have failed because I want this to be done. I. And God's like, nope, not yet. I gave you that for a reason. Well, I don't like your reason. Whatever it is, I don't like it. You don't have to like it. But you will learn from it. Let's be honest. Over and over, what's in your heart? These are some of my favorite verses. Psalm 41 through 3. Let me just read them. I hope earnestly for Yahweh. What is our hope? What is our hope? What is it that we wait for? Can't wait to get to heaven. We can't spend ten minutes extra in church because it irritates us. Right? So ready to get there. Right? It says, I hoped earnestly for Yahweh, and He inclined to me and heard my cry for help. And he brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a high rock, established my steps. And then verse 3 I love. puts a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God that many shall see it and fear and will trust in Yahweh. Do you realize that when God saved you, when God saved you, put a song in your mouth. You should reflect that. Because He's done such an incredible work. He gave you hope. Psalm 42. Is this in your heart? Psalm 42. One, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you pant for God? Or pant like as a deer pants for water, do we desire God? Because until you do, you won't reflect Him. Every one of us in this room will never be able to give away what we don't have. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that, is, that, is, that reflects commitment, you'll never share them with anyone. It comes out of a heart of desire. I said we're going to end in John 4, so if you would, turn over to John chapter 4. Years ago, I don't know where the message is, but somewhere in my computer files I have a message entitled, She Then Left Her Water Pots. Just 
to me, reflects a changed life. When God changes a life, it changes everything. Literally changes everything. Think about that. I can't be the same person I was. I can't be that person once God comes into my life. In chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, it says, Therefore, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was uh, making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2, although he, Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. That's just a phenomenal phrase right there. <laughs> if you knew the history behind that. So he came into a city of Samaria. Just, by the way, Jews don't mess with Samaritans. But he said, I have to go there. There's a divine encounter that he knew about. In verse 6, he says, And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Can, can, can I just say something? We, we still have those prejudices today. And I, I don't go around certain people. They're not, my, they're not my type. They're not my style. They're African American. They're Asian. Oh, they're deaf. They're Hindu. Still happens today. All around us. I'm just telling you, you haven't lived until you've had some of those people live in your home for a period of time. Trust me. I've had a Chinese kid living in my home for seven years. Changes our life. And another one for three years. We've had black kids live in our home. We've had troubled teens live in our home. We've had... <laughs> our kids have been around that their entire life. People coming into the Todd house. I'm just telling you. Get beyond your prejudices. Get beyond your opinions. Get beyond, I don't go there. I don't talk to them. Jews weren't supposed to mess with Samaritans. Anyway, where was I? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. So what does Jesus do here by example? He goes out of the way to have a conversation with somebody. Can I just encourage you? Go out of the way. It's never convenient to stop and talk to anybody when you've got an agenda. Things to do on your list. It's never convenient. I'm just telling you, the opportunities that God gives me is always when I've got three other things to do. Three other things I've got to get done. Three other people I need to speak to. And yet, here's an opportunity and I've got to make a choice. Stop and talk or don't. 
go out of the way. Number two, Jesus took an everyday occurrence. Something so simple as water. Water. He needed water. She needed water. Create an opportunity for a conversation. Things that are relevant to us every day. That's what God uses. Let's go on. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater, greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And this woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come back here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seek to be His worshipers. Just stop there for a minute. An hour is coming. And it will be revealed in your life whether or not you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. An hour is coming where you will stand before God and it will be revealed. See, it's not about coming to church. Though he said, don't forsake the assembling. We should be a part of a body of Christ who are learning and growing together and caring for one another and loving one another. That's given. But coming to church doesn't make you saved. Being a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist doesn't make you saved. Doing good things doesn't make you saved. Giving away all that you have or giving away large portions of money to help those in need will not save you and not give you one, one ounce of merit to enter heaven. None of that will. It's only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Over and over, God's Word makes that clear. Let me just jump down. Time's getting away. Let me just go down to verse 27. And at this point, His disciples came, and they were marveling that He was speaking with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water jars and went into the city and said to the men, 
Come see a man who told me all things that I have done. Is, not, is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying one to another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let me just stop there for a moment. Well, let me, no, let me read one more verse. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who bore witness. He told me all things that I have done. Let me just stop there for a minute. Let me tell you what Scripture says. She has an encounter with Jesus that changes her life. And so she immediately, knowing that she has to change everything, she immediately goes and enrolls in Jerusalem Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. She immediately enrolls so that she can take all the classes on knowing the Bible just perfectly. That way she can go and begin to be a witness of what Jesus has done to her. Right? Is that what it says? Am I missing something? She immediately, upon recognizing who Jesus was, obviously puts her faith in Jesus alone and goes and tells everybody because her life has just been changed. I don't think I'm missing anything. I think she just immediately began to tell others What happened to her? Being a child of God and telling others about who Jesus is, is that simple. It's simply telling others what Jesus has done for you. If you've got a story to tell, are you telling it? If Jesus has changed your life, Are you telling others about it? Or are you too embarrassed? Too ashamed? It's private. I'm just telling you. If Jesus has changed your life, others should know about that. It's evidence of the fact that He really has changed your life. It's evidence. And our desire to know Him and to walk with Him. And to live out the life that He's called us. It's evidence that He's done a work in our life. See, God never told her that she has to control the outcome. Now listen, I know you're a Samaritan. I know that you're not supposed to talk to certain people, but just, just so you know, I've got, I've got, we've got a quota to keep. And in this quota, you've got to go t- t- tell ten people... And nine of those ten have to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Just so you know that. Now go do it. No. She was just so excited about what had happened that she began to tell. And God's Word says many believed because of her word. Some didn't. But some did. God doesn't tell us to control the outcome. He just says go tell. 
plant the seed, water. Who gives the increase? God does. But he can't give an increase if we don't do anything. It's like, we got this community garden in the back. I can't wait for the end of the season so I can go pick some tomatoes. Oh, wait a minute. Nobody planted them. I know, but I'm going to go pick some. No, wait a minute. There has to be some prep work that's done before I go pick them. Jesus says, I'll use, over and over, God's Word is so clear about this. Second Chronicles 16, For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in Him whose heart is perfect. And the word perfect means mature towards Him. God says it's not about your abilities. It's not about your skills. It's not about what you know or don't know. It's not about what you think you're good at or not good at. He said, I will show myself strong through you if you'll let me. That's Second Chronicles 16.9. So you don't have to be good. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be talented. It's not about any of that. It's about God working through you if you'll let Him. That's what it's about. So I come back to this, folks. If God is so good and we sing about it, if He is really so good, am I reflecting Him in my day-to-day living? If I truly know Jesus... Am I sharing him with others? Because he says, I have saved you that you might bear fruit. And he that won his souls is wise. Am I even opening my mouth? That ought to challenge us. It challenges me. That I can't just show up every Sunday and, oh, well, you're the preacher, so it's expected of you. No. I am first and foremost a believer, a child of God, who has committed my life to Him before I'm a preacher, before I'm a pastor, before I'm anything else. I don't do it because I'm a pastor. I don't do it because I'm saved or because I'm, because I'm paid to do it. I do it because I know Jesus. And this is what He's called me to. I hope you're challenged by that. Lord, As we come before you this morning, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord God, that you would challenge us, but not just challenge us, change us. Lord God, that you would convict us, Lord, if we're not doing this. Lord God, that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would have a desire, truly God, to open our mouth, to live it out. To not be a silent witness. Because Lord God, what you did on the cross, you were not silent about. It was public for all to see. And I pray God that we would not be ashamed. That we would not keep our faith private. But that we would boldly, as your word says, you've not given us a spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 2. But you've given us a spirit of not giving us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. 
Acts 1, you've given us all power to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. You've made us your ambassadors. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful in doing that. Lord God, speak to our hearts. As we're about to partake of communion, Lord, we're about to partake of the Lord's table, the very salvation, Lord, that you gave your life for. Might, God, we not take that for granted. Might we not just keep silent about that. Might we not just hide it because we don't want to stir the pot or irritate somebody who may not agree with us. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us and change us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just pray for a moment that we would be honest. You say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, I have never opened my mouth about what I believe. If I'm honest with myself, I don't look for opportunities. If I'm honest with myself and God knows my heart, it really hasn't even been a concern. But maybe this morning God's convicted you, shown you a need that if it's real, you've got to share it. Say this morning, God's convicted me. God's challenged me. Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Yes. In the back, in the front, the sides? Yes. And let me just say this. I know that there are those of you in this congregation that do open your mouth, that do talk about your salvation. Praise God. I'm not putting everybody in the same can of worms. You know, we're, we're all different. But maybe you're here this morning, you're being honest. You say, I don't do any of that. Hasn't been a concern. Hasn't been a care. Just something I keep to myself about and don't say anything. But God's convicted you this morning. By God's grace, with His help, you want that to change. Anyone like that this morning to pray for me? Yes. Yes. Yes, in the back, in the side. Can I just challenge you? right there where you're at, just say, God, forgive me. Because God's Word reminds us to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's what? Sin. It's sin. But the beautiful part about that is that God is gracious. He is merciful. And he says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though we know we should be opening our mouth, we know that we should be looking for opportunities, and we don't do it, we know it's wrong. When we confess that, He says, I forgive you. Maybe this morning is another opportunity to, once again, surrender. Just like Ben-Hadad said, I want all this, and he says, I'll do it. Are we willing to say, God, I'll do it? To truly surrender. To truly commit. And let our lives truly reflect someone who knows Jesus. Anyone else this morning say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my desire. Yes, in the back. I appreciate that. Honesty. Yes, on the side, in the front. Yes. Just take a moment and pray. Right there where you're at. Say, God, forgive me. 
God, give me opportunities. God, open up a door of opportunity. God, give me wisdom to turn conversations. God, help me to do what I have to do. The help of the Holy Spirit, I believe He will help you and give you opportunities if that's your desire. Lord Jesus, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning. I ask God that you would give them opportunities to turn conversations just as Jesus did about the woman at the well needing water. Something so simple as water. But God, taking the everyday circumstances of life what's happening in around us in this world and turning that conversation into something positive about Jesus Christ. God, open up those doors of opportunity. Might we see your hand at work? Might we see people coming to know you because of our recommitment, our surrender to follow the Lord and to be obedient? And be with each one who raised their hand, their heart toward you this morning, Lord. Give them victory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.